Hey, it's Monday, November 30th. Welcome back to the Cinder Boys Podcast, part of the Cork Bats Podcast Network. This is our Christmas special. Please enjoy Wine Hard, a Cinder Boys Christmas special. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. Anyways, that's our theme song for this week. Because, guys, Thanksgiving is over. It's Chris- It's officially Christmas time. First of all, how was your guys' Thanksgiving? Can't complain. No complaints. Don't yeah. have much memory of what I did, but I'm sure it was great. That's right. how you know it was good. Right. Really dipped into the scotch at about 10 a.m. And uh, that's the last thing I remember. You might have a problem. Anyways... Now we can get into some Christmas movies. So today we're going to have a little movie discussion for this week's episode. We're just throwing out the headlines, throwing out the mailbag, throwing out the anniversaries. We're going to talk about every guy's favorite Christmas movie. It's a little film called Die Hard. You guys pumped? Very. Oh, yeah. More I love this movie. Who doesn't? More importantly, we should point out Per tradition of our friend group over the past what like decade now how long has it been i think since 2012 it's been a while okay. um we you know would get together the day after thanksgiving and watch a little film called die hard and drink some wine and we would call it wine hard so that is what today's episode is going to be called it will be called wine hard so you guys got your glasses of wine there yeah mm-hmm. So uh, let's uh, let's go through our wine selection first, and then we'll talk about the movie. Uh, Tom, what kind of wine are you drinking there? Oh, it is from the finest grape valleys of California, uh, Winking Owl. You can get ah, yes. steal the deal at Aldi or any other participating grocery store. Mm. Okay, Aldi, the finest of wines. Well, cool, man. Mob, what are you drinking there, buddy? I am drinking a vintage 2017, um, comes from the vineyard called Boggle, uh, American Winery of the Year um, by a wine enthusiast in 2019. It's a, it's a nice cab. Nice. All right. Very cool. Very cool. And then uh, Kevin, aka the Ass Crack Bandit. Mm, that's me. What are you <clears throat> drinking, my man? I am drinking a little something called the original Dark Horse. It's a 2018 cab, and I got this from our friends uh, Joel and Amanda. Oh, Thanks for the gift. that's lovely. That's lovely. Well, for me, uh, I'm going to be enjoying a nice uh, Coke Zero mm. in a wine glass because the last time I drank wine, I got in a verbal argument with a friend about what the best Coldplay album is, and I don't want to do that today. That was wine. <laughs> Shout out to Alex Reinert, friend of the podcast. So, cheers. <laughs> One of the most uncomfortable situations I've ever been in in my life, I think. Hey, we're moving past. <laughs> it's it. in the past. We don't Let's need to on. dwell on it. We don't need to dwell on it. I did all, not see that coming. And I truly, okay. love, truly love my Coke Zero. That was years ago. The you Coke Zero. Hash it. Hey. Shout out to Alex. I hope he's having uh, a wonderful, I hope he had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, dear friend of the podcast. Anyways, we're just going to have a little movie discussion. We're going to go through Die Hard, go through the plot. 
Um, we'll, we'll share some fun facts, some hot takes. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and get started. So Die Hard was actually released on July 20th of 1988. So even though the movie takes place around Christmas, it's actually a summer blockbuster. Did you guys know that? I did. Tom did. Pretty sure I knew that. Okay. I well, might have known it. No way I've known it. Blow your minds with that. Guess not. It is directed by John McTiernan, and it stars Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, and Bonnie Bedelia of the TV show Parenthood. Ah, yes. It is based. The movie Die Hard is actually based on a novel by Roderick Thorpe, and was written for the screen by Jeb Stewart. I actually did not know it was based off of a novel. That was something I learned today. Yeah. Okay. So that's pretty cool. Um, you guys. We've all seen it, right? Well, oh yeah, oh yeah. We've all watched it twice together, so we've all seen it. Um, we'll we'll talk about how we feel about it once we get through the plot, but let's dive into it. The in-depth synopsis of Die Hard. First of all, before I get into it, of course, with our movie discussions, we are going to go through the entire plot. There will be spoilers, so if you've not seen Die Hard, you're an um, idiot. Go ahead. You're an idiot. Pause the pause the recording or pause the podcast. Go ahead and go watch it. I think it's on HBO Max. Um, I think you've had enough time. Yeah, it's a, it's it's worth it. It's a great movie. It, it holds up after 32 years. So very good. Anyways, we're gonna go ahead and get into it. On Christmas Eve, 1988, John McClane sits on a flight headed towards Los Angeles. Fellow passenger notices he is stressed about the flight and recommends that he take the time to make barefoot fists with his toes on carpet after he arrives to his destination as a cure for jet lag. After landing and collecting his luggage, John sees a chauffeur holding a sign labeled Jay McLean. The driver, Argyle, drives him to Nakatomi Plaza, and on the way roots out that John still works as a police detective in New York City, but his wife, Holly McLean, relocated to California for a great career. Both John and Holly thought the other would bend and move to join the other, but that they are both too hard-headed first of all have you guys ever tried the the barefoot uh uh carpet maneuver after a long flight doing that right now feels not work we can confirm it does not work it does i do not feel any more relaxed after gripping my toes well yeah you're doing it right now i'm saying like after a long flight no i have tried that oh okay but I also don't mind flying, so I'm probably not its target patient. Okay. I've never flown from New York to California. Right. But what kind of jet lag are we talking about? Yeah, I know. So that's the opposite. Yeah. Like that's not, that's not a crazy flight. That's like a five hour flight. I have, I have flown from brag. I have flown from Missouri to Hawaii that didn't feel jet lag. That seems like a longer flight. It is. Yeah. So geography dictates that it is. Yeah. I'm just thinking, what's with the jet lag? I don't know. Okay. Well, three in, hours is a long time, man. In the scene, like he's he's visibly uncomfortable of flying on a plane. So I don't even know if it was like jet lag. It was just like to like calm the nerves of flying after yeah. you get off. But I don't know. It was probably it just. It's probably just another human trying to be a nice human to another human. Whereas I don't want that stranger talking to me at all. Yep. Yeah. 
if someone that's sitting next to me on a plane says, Hey, ball your feet up. I'd be like, shut up. Yeah. The last time a stranger talked to me while I was on a plane, I got her story about how she was on Jerry Springer that day. And so I'm just not. That was the last time you were on a plane? Not into it. No, that's the last time a stranger talked to me on a plane. I was going to say, dang. What? I've never heard this story. Uh, We don't need to get into it. but uh, We should. We should. should. (laughs) It's a good story. I'm going to need you to tell me that story later. Um, Just tell it right now for the people. it, It goes like this. I was on a plane. I was sitting next to someone and uh, she decided she wanted to talk to me. And what she ended up telling me was that she was on Jerry Springer that day and that she got beads, but she didn't have to do what I thought she thought to get beads. She must've been a nervous (laughs) flyer. And when she gets nervous, she just talks a lot. I should have told her to scrape her toes across the uh, carpet. Did she specify whether or not she was like an audience member or a guest on Jerry Springer? She yes. said she was a guest. She said she was on Jerry Springer. It was about her boyfriend cheating on her. Do you, wow. did, did we try and look her up afterwards? I feel like we probably did. We definitely did. Did you find the episode? Oh, no. Could not find the episode. Didn't really well, want to try. It hadn't the happened yet. <laughs> hadn't aired. Yeah. I don't know. Wow. Wow. Anyways, meanwhile, at Nakatomi Plaza, Joe Takagi addresses the employees of the Nakatomi Corporation at their company Christmas party and the Floor 30 foyer. He announces that that day was one of the most successful days in the company's history. Holly McLean, as she goes in Los Angeles as Holly Gennaro, walks through the crowd, finishing up some paperwork. As she walks down the hallway, her coworker Harry Ellis, flirts with her. When she arrives at her office, she excuses her pregnant secretary, Ginny, to go join the party and shows Harry the door as well. She then speaks with her younger daughter, Lucy, and Nanny Pauline on the phone about John's arrival, stating that she isn't certain if he made his flight or not. She looks at a photo of her, John, and their children, Lucy and John. She sighs and places it face down on the shelf. Ooh. I'm sensing some tension. There's some tension. Yeah. A little bit of tension there. Also, we kind of skipped over the fact that we are have already been introduced to Argyle. Who yeah, is great character. One of the best characters. Just a fun character in the movie. I don't know how accepting, I, I don't know how much fun I would be having if he was like my driver. I'd be like, why, why are you talking so much to me? I mean, I and think I, all I, of us would be like the John McClane in that scenario. He yeah, he wasn't fun. super pumped. Huh. Yeah. Not really wanting to talk, but John McLean's so cool. You know, you can just like have a conversation and make it seem fine, even though he hates it. And Argyle really has the way about him of just really slowly and painfully wearing you down to the point where you're just like, yeah, all right, he's a pretty good friend. I like this yeah, guy. Pretty good friend. <laughs> right. Right. John's limo pulls up to the entry of Nakatomi Plaza. Argyle tells him he will wait in the garage until John calls and informs him that he's made other plans. John greets the security guard and uses a computer to find out that Holly has changed her last name to her maiden name, Gennaro. He takes the elevator to the 30th floor, walks through the party, and meets Joe Takagi, who shows him to Holly's office. In the office sits Harry Ellis, who obviously finished snorting cocaine moments earlier. (laughs) He introduces himself, and John informs him that he missed some. (laughs) (laughs) and Harry quickly brushes his nose with his fingers. Holly enters, and the two jilted lovers give each other a subtle greeting across the room. 
Harry informs John that Holly just closed the biggest deal in the company's history and received a new Rolex watch. Joe and Harry leave as John asks for a place to wash up. As John washes up, the two comment that the that the the two comment that they missed each other, but quickly begin arguing about Holly's decision to move to California. They are interrupted by Jenny, who requests Holly join the party. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> How do you not love Harry Ellis? Man, oh, man. just quintessential '80s yuppie douchebag. Yeah. Yep. My favorite character in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's so great. Go ahead, Holly. John, show him the watch. <laughs> yep, that's anyone right. who can it's a play, anyone who can play an absolute tool that well deserves an Oscar, in my opinion. Mm. He's yeah. so good at it. He's so good at it. Yeah. The subtle and flex of this scene is Holly having such a badass bathroom attached to her office. Yeah, yeah it's like gold. It's incredible. Have you guys ever seen somebody with a bathroom in their office? No. You got to be a bigwig to have a private bathroom. Leslie Nope had one, but she had to give it up. To Jeremy Jantz. That's correct. That, Which, that seems odd that city officials would have their own bathroom in their own offices. I don't know I if think, that's deserving. But. I, don't, I don't know. I feel like it's more just all cubicles these days. And like, even if you're yeah. a high-selling sales exec, you know or a high selling sales manager, you got to have like a V or a C in front of your title to have an office. Yeah. These Offices days. are tough to, to come by these days. Yeah, that's true. I have my own office though. So brag. Sick. Um, outside a Mercedes pulls up to the Nakatomi Plaza entry as a Pacific courier truck pulls into the garage. Carl Vresky and Theo approach the Nakatomi security guard one at his desk while Theo talks about basketball nonchalantly and Carl shoots the guard in the forehead. Theo hops over the desk and begins using a computer to shut off all the elevators in the building except one, as well as sealing all the exits to the garage in the building. Carl uses a flash grenade and his silent pistol to take out the other security guard. In the garage, Hans Gruber and the rest of the team of terrorists exit from the back of the courier truck. Hans seals the front door while Eddie puts on the guard's jacket in the man's desk or man's the desk, excuse me. Tony Vresky makes his way to the telephone junction boxes and begins patching into the system. He barely finishes, finishes patching in before his brother Carl uses a chainsaw to cut through all the phone cords to prevent any calls from leaving the building. So now we're introduced to our cool foreign terrorists. Man, I love Hans Gruber. Alan Rickman is just... He just does such an awesome job. He's so cool and just bad. And oh man, Gruber is just, yeah, the best. Yeah. I secretly love Theo. He's one of my favorite villains in this movie. You mean yeah. Trevette from Walker, Texas Ranger? Yeah. Yes. Also, he's like, yeah. he's like the Argyle of the bad guys. Kind of is. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of cool. like the fun, like cool character. He's not, he's not German and super harsh, mm-hmm. scary. Yeah. He's kind of a normal dude. Yeah. We also know that he really likes sports. And I think like, in my opinion, he probably wanted to be like a sports announcer at one point. And then he just ended up falling into a life of crime. I like that you have backstories for these guys. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Meanwhile, a barefoot John is making fists with his toes and is surprised it is working to cure his jet lag, which we already debunked this. And that's bullshit. False. False. He calls, yeah, he calls Argyle, but is cut off by Carl's cutting of the phone lines. Hans and some of his henchmen arrive via elevator to the Christmas party and begin faring at the ceiling. Oh, faring? Firing at the ceiling. My apologies. To capture everyone's attention. John hears the gunshots and is able to sneak out of the office into the stairwell with his police-issued handgun. He nearly enters the 35th floor, but notices other henchmen wheeling equipment through the hallway. He continues up to floor 32, which is under construction, where he tries to gather his thoughts and think of a way to alert authorities. So I am going to go ahead and put a disclaimer out there. Um, even when I watch Die Hard, I get confused. There's a lot that happens in this movie as far as like what floor they're on, what's happening, who's a good guy, who's a bad guy, who knows who, who is aware of who. Yeah. All this stuff. So I do apologize in advance because I'm going to be going through this relatively fast and it's going to get confusing. My recommendation is that you just watch the fucking movie. Harsh words, but I'm, I can't disagree. Tough love. <laughs> Tough love to our listeners right you now. You got to go okay. watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh-oh. Hold on, guys. I got a little uh, Coke Zero uh, cup ring from my wine glass on my desk. Need to switch it over to a coaster. This is 30. This is 30. In the foyer, Hans informs the Nakatomi Corporation employees that he's going to teach the company a lesson on the real use of power because their company has a legacy of greed. He calls out for Joe Takagi, but Holly tells Joe to stand back. He steps forward after Hans lists several detailed facts about his life. Hans greets him in the to take the elevator to floor 34. In the boardroom, Theo asks Takagi for the CEO daily key code and encryption number. Takagi insists that he doesn't have them, and even if he did, they couldn't steal any, any information that would hurt the company. Hans corrects him that they aren't after information, but the $640 million in bearer bonds in the company's vault. John McClane enters from the stairwell and overhears the interrogation of Takagi. Han gives Takagi to the count of three to give him the codes, but he refuses. Hans shoots him in the head, orders Tony to dispose of the body, and Theo to begin hacking the vault. Because you know why. They didn't bring Theo along for his charming personality. That's a quote from the movie. John makes a noise as he escapes from the room, but the terrorists don't find him and dismiss the noise. In the garage, Argyle listens to loud music in the limo, talking to a girl on the phone. What a player. So now we know what these guys are up to and what they want. They want that money, dude. They want that $640 million in bare bonds, dude. I am a little embarrassed, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What is a bearer bond? And how does one redeem it? Especially if it's been stolen. I don't know. I just, I'm curious okay. to know how much $640 million in 1988 is worth now. I think $640 million. Inflation-wise, Kenny. Come on, come on. Come uh, on. I don't know. I'm going to calculate. Uh, calculate And it. that's $1.4 billion <laughs> B oh in 2020, baby. Damn, dude. That's, a, that's some Zuckerberg cash right there. Yeah. Sheesh. Damn. Sheesh. What would we do with that money? Mm. I would have no idea what to do. Yeah. I'd just sit around. My, my thought is I'd give most of it away, but at the same time, I also stole it 
So like, right. I'm already a bad dude. Why am I giving money to charity? Unless it's, it's like Robin a Robin Hood, Hood situation. I ain't no Robin Hood. These guys ain't no Robin Hoods. <laughs> nah. They hood hoods, you know, they bad guys. Do you think uh, if he had given them the codes, they would have spared his life? Because I think he was dead either way. Nah, he oh, was sure. They were going to kill him. Do you, if you're in that situation, do you give the codes just just to see like, hey, maybe I, I'll live? Or do oh, you I figure you're dead? Oh, I would for sure do anything to make sure I stay alive. I'd give him fake codes. I don't want to die. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm that Weasley coward. Like, I would do that. Would fake codes help you? For a little bit and buy me some time <laughs> playing your exit strategy yeah and then i run away <laughs> uh the first number six uh then nine uh <laughs> another six <laughs> another six <laughs> then another cool. nine and then maybe another six and a nine <laughs> try that just out of, i don't know i don't know they change every day <laughs> heinrich marco and uli work in a room full of the building's heating and cooling machinery. They wire the room with what appears to be explosives. Theo and Hans walk to the vault while Theo explains the vault's seven layers of security. He stresses that he could complete the first six, but that the seventh lock, an electromagnetic system, cannot be cut locally. Hans guarantees he has a plan. John curses at himself on floor 32 and suddenly comes up with a plan. Pull the fire alarm. Eddie informs Hans of the alarm, and Hans orders him to call 911 to disable the alarm and turn off the system. John celebrates the approaching fire trucks, but gets angry when they turn off their sirens and turn around. Tony's, Tony enters the room, and John hides. He searches for John in the labyrinth of the construction. The fight, crashing through drywall and aluminum beams, and they uh, stumble down a stairwell. Tony dies in the fall. So now we get our first big fight scene. Kind of a lame way to die. And it ends. <laughs> yeah, it is a little embarrassing. Kind of crazy that one guy can die and one guy can be just fine. Falling down the stairs. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. But you know what? True stories are kind of crazy sometimes. And yeah. I'm pretty sure this is a true story. So It is a true story. Because we believe it. It's yes. In the vault, Theo bypasses the first level of security and begins using a drill to proceed the heist. John takes Tony's radio lighter and Heckler and & Koch MP5 machine gun. Great gun in Call of Duty. He then dresses up Tony's body on a chair in the elevator and sends it down to the Christmas party. Hans frightens the party by telling them that Mr. Takagi has been killed, but is interrupted by the arrival of Tony's body. He's angered by the message on Tony's sweatshirt. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Riding on top of the elevator, John listens to the terrace and takes notes on his arm. He rides the elevator to the top floor and sneaks out to the roof. Meanwhile, Hans tells Carl that Tony, which enraged... Yeah. What? Meanwhile, Hans tells Carl that Tony, which, is in, which enrages Carl, that he wants vengeance because Carl is Tony's brother. Was Tony's brother. Yeah. Yeah. And now he's mad and wants to kill John. We're going to skip that part because I butchered it. McLean arrives at the roof and uses the CV radio to call out on frequency nine, but is chided by the 911 operator. He yells at her to send help, but Carl and others begin shooting at him, prompting him to evade. The operator decides to send a sole officer to investigate, Al Pow. He receives the call while buying Twinkies for his pregnant wife. What a name. Didn't really ever think about it until now. Al Powell. 
Al like, that's kind of tough. Al Pow. Al Pow. I think one of the hardest things for me in this movie is that the bad guy's name is Carl, but the good guy's name is also Carl because that's Carl Winslow. Right. Yeah. Right. So that is confusing. I don't, I don't care what the character's name is. It's, it's Carl's Winslow every single time. Yes. Reginald Bell Johnson is the actor and he seems to have been unfairly taught cast as a cop (laughs) in everything he plays. He had a good career. Is he still, he's still alive, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, he got to eat Twinkies and just hang out in a cop uniform for most of his career. Pretty yeah. solid, if you ask yeah. me. You're right. That's a good point. On the roof, John evades the gunfire and makes his way into a dead-end closet with a large ventilation fan. He blocks the fan with his gun, climbs through, and evades the terrorist back to floor 35. Still pursued, he is cornered in the elevator shaft and must climb down the ventilation shaft to floor 34. He uses his machine gun and it's strapped to climb down the ventilation shaft, but the strap slips free from the gun and he falls a couple of floors. He manages to catch himself on a ledge and climb into a horizontal vent. He uses the lighter to see in the vent, but Carl sees the light and follows him to floor 31. Carl shoots at the ducks and begins pressing them, checking for body weight, but is called away before he finds John. So Bruce Willis in the air ventilation shaft. (laughs) <laughs> is that the 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 quintessential picture of this movie when you think of it in your head? Usually, yeah. To the coast, have a couple laughs. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I also yeah. think, I, I don't know why, and it's probably because I watch it minimum once a year, the entire series of The Office. It reminds me of the scene with Plop explaining mm-hmm. it to Aaron where he's like, and that's what I vi- visualized this scene. I was <laughs> plop talking to Aaron going, oh, come, come on to the, the coast, coast, get together, have a blast. Yeah. That is true. What Sorry. a weird lens to see this scene through. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love and it. That's my life. That's, that's how it is. I've seen both of them so many times, but for some reason, that's what pops up. Plops up. Plops up. Mm. Now that you guys. Yeah. McLean exits the shaft and watches as Al enters the building and is fooled by Eddie disguised as a security guard. John attempts to break the window with a chair, but is spotted on the roof by James. He radios Marco and Heinrich and they run to stop him. Marco appears to surrender, but John shoots Heinrich when he runs in. Marco then traps John under the conference table by standing on top and shooting toward the ground. At the end of the table, John reloads his weapon and shoots Marco through the table, killing him. He sees Al leaving the building and throws Marco's body on his car to alert them there is trouble. The terrorists open fire on Al's car and he calls for backup and manages to drive in reverse over a retaining wall. He is jostled but is able to walk out of the car. In a news equipment room, journalist Richard Thornburg, (laughs) also an amazing character, overhears the call for help on a police scanner. He argues with a news producer and insults a news host seconds before he goes on air and is given a truck to investigate the story. Is Richard Thornburg the real bad guy of this movie? Discuss. Hmm. No. He's definitely not a good guy. <laughs> but he is definitely, yeah, an a-hole. Yeah, he's kind of a dick. As police arrive at Nakatomi Plaza, John <laughs> harasses Hans over the radio. Hans insults him for watching too many cowboy shows on TV, but John takes it as a compliment, insisting he likes Roy Rogers. He then signs off by saying, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Hans gets a status report from his men and learns that Theo is making good progress on the vault, but that Heinrich's bag of detonators has been taken by John. 
He orders Fritz to retrieve the jet detonators. Al radios John, who briefly explains what is happening. Deputy Police Chief Dwayne T. Robinson arrives and salts Al and takes command. Here's a question for you guys. Is Deputy Police Chief Dwayne T. Robinson the real bad guy of this movie? Discuss. I would say no again, but he definitely <laughs> does not help the situation with his incompetence. He is right. a moron. Yeah, he's dope. He is, however, an idiot. His incompetence does help Hans Gruber and his band of misfits. That's for damn sure. That's true. That's true. They were counting on an incompetent police officer such as him to arrive at the scene, I think. Hans, who has chosen Holly's office as a command post, is approached by Holly, who makes two simple demands, a couch for Jenny and that the terrorists let the hostages use the bathroom. She makes sure to use Gennaro so that she can't be linked to John. Argyle turns on the TV in the limo and notices that the building he is in is under siege. He looks for an exit from the garage but finds himself trapped. Turns on his CV radio, however, to overhear John and Nell's conversation. The police set up spotlights and send a four-man SWAT team to enter the building. They are Rivers, Rodriguez, and two unidentified SWATs. I don't know why that's necessary. John is recommended by Al to sit tight, but he knows the terrorists have extremely heavy artillery. Yuli and Eddie fire at the team as they try to break in the front door, so the police department sends in an RV to rescue the men and break into the front entrance. Hans orders James and Alexander to take down the tank with a rocket launcher. He then orders them to hit it with another rocket, upsetting John enough to throw some C4 down the elevator shaft, blowing up the entire second floor and killing James and Alexander. Now things, now shit starts to blow up in this movie. Mm. And it's awesome. Can we talk about the police having a tank? That's crazy. Yeah. Isn't it in 1988, kinda... the police just have a tank? And it wasn't yeah. a great tank because it got <laughs> nuked by a missile. Hey, look, here's my thing about police having tanks. As long as the drug dealers on the streets have tanks, I think it's fair that the police have tanks. <laughs> Just my two cents. That's a, that's, a, that's a take. That is a take. That's, I your, will... that's your tax money hard at work. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say, Tom? I was going to say a little observation I made a year or two ago when I was watching this movie is every time they cut back to Argyle in the garage, at this point, what's probably been hours, he's still listening to the same Stevie Wonder song. Mm. And at that time, I believe the highest technology in music was cassette tape. So he had to have just been like, oh, song's over. I got to go back and rewind that and then play it over and over again. It's true. I can relate to that. I mean, when Blinding Light came out by the weekend, you best believe I listened to that song straight for an hour. Oh, I did as well, but we're We've not using repeat tapes anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't got to rewind. Yeah, yeah, see, you would think that I was smart enough to turn that on repeat, but I wasn't. I was just like, I need that again. Hit it. <laughs> yeah. do, you think, do you guys think that uh, Blinding Light is the song of 2020? Could be. I think 2020 is long be. enough that there's a song per quarter. Yeah, I mean, to think that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl in 2020, oh, it feels like a different decade. Yeah, that's true. Right? So like, not, We still got six weeks left. Anything yeah. could happen. It's true. 
It's true. The police in Thornburg look on in amazement. Deputy Robinson takes the radio from Al, but John insults him and informs him that he will only speak with Al. Back in the foyer, Harry's getting antsy, and so he snorts more cocaine and gets up to talk to Hans. He tells Hans that he can get John to cooperate. He gives Hans John's name and occupation and uses Hans's radio to talk to John. Thornburg sends an assistant to look up McLean's information while Harry tries to convince John to give, other, give over the detonators. Harry pretends that he is John's good friend, but he doesn't recognize that Hans plans to kill him if John didn't cooperate. John struggles to barter with Hans to spare Harry, but Harry sticks to pretending. John refuses to respond to Harry's friendly request to give back the detonators, so Hans fatally shoots Harry, and I have never watched any more of this movie after that because I was so disappointed. <laughs> you know, a weird thing that sticks out in my mind about this scene is the product placement of Coca-Cola. And I, I just think like, oh, he's drinking a nice, cold, fizzy Coke. So when Ken opened that at the beginning of this episode, I was like, oh, Harry going to die. Mm. An homage. Harry might die, I don't know. An homage. Well I'm going to die at some point. We talked about that last week. But I don't think it's going to happen like that. And not anytime soon. I hope not. Anyways. Here's a question. Does Alice, does Alice owe all of his success in life up to this point to his cocaine habit? That's tough. Because he went into that meeting with just unbridled confidence. <laughs> right. Just, really did. Oh, I got this. I can negotiate with armed terrorists. No big deal. Yeah. Uh, let's do it. It's fair. I've never done coke, so I don't know if it gives you confidence. But it seems like they mix. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. I think we're an anti-drug podcast here. Yes, we've we've discussed that. We're an anti-hard drug podcast for sure. Yes. Hard drug. That's correct. Right. Sorry. And Birdman is the hard drug of the movie industry, so we're anti-Birdman. Yep. Debatable. Yep, 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 yep. Everyone inside and outside the building is shocked. Robinson dismisses Al to go home, but he refuses to leave until the situation is resolved. Robinson believes Harry would still be alive if John turned himself in, but John radios back with his own opinion on the matter. Hans finally addresses the police and begins to list the names of fellow freedom fighters he wants released from prisons around the world. He also orders a helicopter to take him and the hostages to the airport. John and Al don't buy the story and realize that something else is afoot. Special Agent Johnson and Agent Johnson arrive from the FBI to take over control <laughs> from Deputy Chief Robinson. It's one of my favorite jokes in this movie. I know. It's <laughs> so underrated. A, right. It's so like funny. It, Agent Johnson, it seems Agent too Johnson. funny for 1988 in a weird way. Does that make sense? Yeah. It seems also, like ahead of its time. It, like this movie like isn't like devoid of humor by any means. There's some, you know, laughable But parts. it takes itself seriously. Yeah, so to me, this joke seems way out of left field that you just I love it. two FBI <laughs> yeah. agents named Johnson. Yeah, Johnson. But one special agent Johnson special and agent. just agent special Johnson. Agent Johnson. Right. <laughs> right. Sucks for Agent Johnson, man. <laughs> yeah. I also love the joke. I don't. We might talk about it when they're in the helicopter and that one of the guys is shooting the gun. He's like, it makes me feel like I was a numb. The other yeah. agent's like, I was in eighth grade, you dick. Yeah. <laughs> Just classic banter. I was in yeah. eighth grade. Yeah. Hans inspects the explosives in the mechanical room and is cornered by John. He decides to pretend to be an escaped hostage, and John believes it. On floor 33, John gives him a handgun, which Han pulls on him instantly. 
John tries to get him to reveal his plan, but Hans pulls the trigger rather than spoiling his plot. The gun was never loaded, but before John can arrest or shoot Hans, the elevator arrives with Carl, Franco, and Fritz. John manages to shoot Fritz and Franco, but runs out of bullets. Hans, knowing John is barefoot, has Carl shoot the glass walls of the office John is trapped in. They use a flash grenade, but John has vanished by the time the smoke is cleared. However, he was forced to leave the bag with the detonators. Hot take. Alan Rickman's American accent in this scene is the worst American accent ever. It doesn't detract from the big brain idea it was to pretend to be a hostage. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. It's not good. It goes away for sure. Uh, He's like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. Like he does that and it's like, yeah. It's that was really, I don't want to do my own horn, but that was that was a really good impression of it. <laughs> oh my god! Look it up. Watch it. Watch the clip. Anyways, we Hans gives it. Uli the detonators, and Carl smashes some decorations at the Christmas party. Holly celebrates his anger, taking it as a sign that John is still alive. John slinks into a bathroom with bloody feet, and begins to clean and bandage. Theo informs Hans that he has broken through the first six levels of the vault security, and that he's ready for Hans to disengage the final electromagnetic lock. Thornburg's assistant brings good news to Thornburg, telling him that she knows John McClane's records and his L.A. address. As Al tries to keep an injured John company over the radio, Theo and Hans realize that the FBI is planning on cutting the power to the building. Theo smiles, realizing that the electromagnetic lock will disengage when the power is cut off. Special Agent Johnson instructs a power company worker to turn off the power for a 10-block radius around Nakatomi. The FBI celebrates. Robinson worries that the mayor will be upset about the cut power. Al complains about the FBI's predictable behavior. And Hans and Theo celebrate as the vault opens. Whoever made this movie really has it out for, like, the Bureau and just everyone that's not a local cop. They're like, these idiots. They don't know how to do anything. Yeah. Some messaging there. That's true. You can like it or hate it. Yeah. Take it as you will, you know. John asks Al to tell his wife goodbye should anything happen to him, but Al tells him to pull through it. Thornburg arrives at Holly's house and threatens Paulina to let him talk to the children. Great call. John waddles back to the machinery room and finds a large amount of C4 wired to blow up the roof. He radios Al, but is caught by Carl. Carl takes John's radio and gun, but John throws a punch and the two begin to fistfight, agreeing that it is personal for both of them. Hans watches a small TV and recognizes the children. Thornburg is interviewing. He then picks up the face-down family photo of the McLeans and approaches Holly. He fires the gun in the air, orders all the hostages to the roof, and takes Holly with him to the vault. She chastises him for being nothing but a crook when she realizes he's simply robbing the vault. Carl holds the upper hand of the fight with John. However, John manages to get in some good hits. Carl is able to get his hands on a gun, fires, and grazes John's shoulder as he escapes through a doorway. Carl follows, but John gets the upper hand, knocking the gun free. The two continue to wrestle and throw punches up a staircase until John wraps some chains around Carl's neck, pushing him over the railing. He then pulls the other end of the chain along a track, causing Carl's hanging body to zip across the room and slam into a wall. Carl hangs from the chain dead. That was a lot. That's a good way to die. Not, Not falling downstairs, but getting... Strung up by some chains. On a zip line. That's, that's a badass way to kill someone. If you just dived falling, sounds like falling down some stairs. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say that Hans 
on his resume puts good under pressure because to pull that he remembered those children from just glancing at the picture mm. from the TV, insane awareness <laughs> at Hiram. Yeah. Even though he's a crook. Yeah. You know, we'd have to do a background <laughs> check. He probably wouldn't pass that, but he would get to the interview stage. It says here for the last 15 years, you've been an exceptional thief. Um, you explain that a little, that a little bit. bit. Yeah. <laughs> Explain how that helps you make Excel pivot tables. And how do you perform under great stress and pressure? He would have a great example. Yeah. So this one time I was stealing $640 million and I just had a, I just had this crazy flashback of these children's faces. I'm a, my screen name would be little kid lover. If I had a screen, <laughs> I was, the whole time I was just trying to work away and get that in. reference. Cause I was, as soon as you said that mob, I was like little kid lover <laughs> one, two, three years. I don't know if there's numbers on the end. That's an right. offers reference for those at home that maybe went over their head. Right. A lot of offer, office references today. It's my life. Yeah. Two army helicopters approach Nakatomi Plaza. Special Agent Johnson and Agent Johnson riding one of them, <laughs> commenting that they plan on ambushing the terrorists and that they would be happy with a 25% hostage loss rate. Uli and Eddie usher all the hostages to the roof, and John shoots Uli as he chases the hostages, searching for Holly. Jenny tells John that Holly is with Hans, trying to warn the helicopter not to land and get the hostages away from the explosive. John begins firing Uli's machine gun into the air. The hostages run back down into the building, but the FBI and the chopper begins firing at John. He manages to make it to a slightly hidden edge and uses a fire hose to repel down the building. As he jumps, Eddie informs Hans that the hostages have returned to the 30th floor in a panic, so Hans pushes the trigger for the explosive. The explosion engulfs the FBI helicopter, killing both Agent Johnsons and everyone on board. The fire hose reel snaps from the wall and follows John off the roof, but he manages to shoot through a window and land before it falls. But after it passes his floor with the weight, the reel starts to pull him out of the window. He manages to untie the hose in time. So here's what I'm thinking. Um, I'm going to start doing descriptive action movie readings and sell them. They're doing great. Yeah, I'm, I love I'm, it. I'm really enjoying this. I do feel like if you haven't watched the movie, you can't mentally follow along and you probably hate this. So I apologize, <laughs> but we told you, go watch the movie. I am, I am now just like not watching, watching it. I wasn't realizing, but hearing your descriptive reading of it, I'm realizing how many floors were involved. A lot of floors, yeah, man. And how, floors. But not just how many floors, but how integral each floor was. Yeah. You know, it's important. The yeah. floor plan is important. Each floor right. really does tell a story. Yes. That's true. The helicopter falls and explodes the The helicopter falls and explodes on the 30th and surrounding floors, setting the floor on fire. The elevator is affected by the blast and blows out the wall of the 30th floor. John follows his wife's screams to the vault, where Hans is in a hurry to finish loading all the bearer bonds. <laughs> Along the way, he notices a mail cart with tape and other supplies and discovers he only has two bullets left. In the garage, Argyle notices Theo unloading an ambulance from the back of the courier truck. He rams the ambulance with his limo, then rushes to the car and punches out Theo. 
I like that. I like the fact that Argyle is the one that takes out Theo because they're both kind of the same guy, just on different ends of the spectrum. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. As Christoph runs a stack of bonds down the hallway, John knocks him out. He slowly walks down the hallway toward Hans, Eddie, and Holly. Hans holds a gun to Holly's head and orders John to drop his weapon. Eddie picks up another machine gun, but Hans instructs him not to shoot. Hans mocks John for being a cowboy and points his gun towards him. John holds his hands behind his head and starts laughing, and Hans and Eddie join in, knowing his situation is futile. At that moment, John grabs his handgun, which is taped to his back, fires one shot at Eddie, killing him, and another at Hans, hitting him in the shoulder. Hans falls out the window, but manages to hold on to Holly's new Rolex. Hans slowly aims his gun at Holly, but John manages to unclasp the watch, sending Hans plummeting to the ground. Poor guy. Iconic scene. We can all agree. It's so great. I mean, yeah. all of it. Yeah. Does he say yippee ki in that? In that Hans scene? says it to okay. John. To John. Right as he's like pulling his gun on him. In the rubble outside, John meets Al and they both hug and thank each other. Robinson approaches and chews out McLean for the damage of the building. A not-quite-dead Carl arises to screams and aims a gun at John and Holly. Everyone falls to the ground, by, but Al, who fires his sidearm, kills Carl. Argyle rams his limo through the garage's gate, and John and Holly walk towards his limo. On the way, they are stopped by Thornburg for an interview. Holly punches him in the face, and the couple continues in the limo. Mm. Kissing as Argyle drives away from a damaged and burning Nakatomi Plaza. Roll credits did we so i don't know if we addressed how big of a deal it was that I was just gonna Al pulled his gun on a bad guy because he tells a very very heartfelt story earlier in the movie about how he shot a kid while he was on duty and it mm. just ruined him and not great not yeah, great not great very tragic story and then yeah he redeems himself by taking out a terrorist or i guess technically a bank robber it's a great moment. Great moment. I'd like to address, uh, so that's presumably a Friday or a Saturday night, probably. You know, you have your Christmas party. Monday well, rolls Christmas around. Eve. Oh, Christmas Eve. Okay, sorry. So you probably next get, like, Monday, the rest of the week off. Yeah, the, the next Monday rolls around, and you work at this, at Nakatomi <laughs> Plaza. What? You going back to work? Um, what you, obviously what not. I mean, the building's in shambles. Right. Uh, the owner's dead. <laughs> at this but point also, you can't work remotely because it's right. a that's I, that's what i mean what do you do you lose your job is <laughs> right. the company gone but mm-hmm. also imagine questions. imagine having all of this just happen and having the audacity to yell at john mcclain about the damage yeah <laughs> yeah for real yeah. Chill, bro. It, it would be like a hurricane coming through tearing off my house and then me getting yelled from my room being not clean right yeah I do think that that's a funny image, though, Kevin, of like, say you do go back to work the next Monday. Like, you just what, kind of forget. What do those conversations like, look like? Well, Sharon, how about that Christmas party? Am I right? <laughs> really blew the roof off this I one. mean, oh, wowie yeah. zowie. My hat's <laughs> off to Nakatomi and Mr. Takagi. I mean, like, ooh, I'll be talking about this one for years, you know? You just kind of forget you're going through your morning routine. You hop in the car. You start driving down the 405. <laughs> and then you get to the Nakatomi Tower and you're like, oh. Oh yeah, Ruth's gone. Mm. Forgot how drunk was I that night? You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a crazy party. 
<laughs> also, one of the things I noticed at the end of the movie is how they just get in the limo and drive away. How are they not going to be interrogated? For like <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a, hours. a briefing yes. of sorts with the police. Right. No, yeah. see, Lucy punched a guy in the face. That so was all cool. Holly. Holly. Sorry, Lucy. Lucy's the daughter. Lucy's the yeah, daughter. The mom and daughter mixed up now. Mm-hmm. You know who plays Lucy in uh, Live Free Live or Die Hard? Mary Elizabeth Winstead, son. I love her. Anyways. Um, so, yeah, that's Die Hard. We did it. We made it through. The budget of this movie was $28 million. How much money do you guys think this movie made in theaters? It was a big deal, I think. Uh, I'll say upwards of $200 million. I'll go. Th- I'll go... I'll go closer to 300, like in the 270s. I want to say 143 mil. 141, 482, Wow. I went over. So it was not that big of a deal. Well, no. $141 million is a huge deal. I guess plus in the inflation. In the 80s, yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, don't, maybe I've just seen it so many times. It was just like a blockbuster. I mean, it was ju- a blockbuster. You but. just did the math that said 600 schmill was like one yeah, point true, whatever true, true, billion true, here. True, true, You're true, saying true, 300 true. million? True, true, true. I'm thinking that's, that's, you got me there. I was thinking in 2020 terms. Yeah. $141 million. Nothing to blow your nose at. Nothing to sneeze at. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm. Alice. Nothing that a couple lines of coke couldn't couldn't fix. It's true. Well, let's uh let's go through this one by one. Kevin, would you recommend this movie? Hell yeah. Easy enough. Mob, would you recommend this movie? I mean I'll say this. I would recommend it at any time of the year, not just around Christmas time. Mm. How about that? Mm. Nice. Tom? Would you recommend this movie? I absolutely would. Again, I'd recommend it for any time of year, but it's especially great around Christmas. And I would also recommend Die Hard 2, 3, and 4. And if you want to get to it, 5, but I wouldn't. It's not great. Kenny, would you recommend this movie? You bet your ball sack I'd recommend this movie. Mm, strong, strong. Excellent movie. I want to go watch it tonight. Tom, where's this rank in your, in your top, top movies, you think? Is it a top 10? I think I'd put it in a top 10 for me. I don't know where in the top 10. I think it'd probably be in like six through 10. I don't know if I'd put it in the top five. Fair. I I don't know. I just got to think about it. (laughs) Well, guys, thanks for, thanks for hanging. It's always good to talk diehard with you guys, even though we can't physically watch it together. I feel like we all just mentally watched it in our heads. So with that, let us raise a glass. Until next time. And cheers to you. Until next year. Should we do Die Hard 2 next year? Mm-hmm. I would do that. Okay. All right. 2021. Mm-hmm. Cineboys Podcast. Die Hard 2. Weinhard 2. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 That's it for this week. Be sure to subscribe to the Cineboys Podcast for new episodes every Monday. Follow us on Facebook at the Cineboys Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at the Cineboys. And Cineboys is part of the Cork Bats Podcast Network.